0: You see a nine all
1: won a gold medal. There it is! Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in yes! Unbelievable. Hello, I'm Vince Hunt, and welcome to our podcast series, Sports in the Cold War. So far, we've looked at more than twenty important themes in Cold War sports history, with plenty more to come. Why not follow the series on Twitter with the hashtag Cold War or rate and review the shows on iTunes? Or drop Laura Deal an email at the Wilson Centre with your thoughts. In Southeast Asia, sport and politics were inextricably intertwined during the Cold War. There were complex regional politics and the competing interests and ambitions of the various communist and anti communist regimes. Simon Creek teaches Southeast Asian history at the University of Melbourne. As Simon, this regional games, the Southeast Asian Peninsula Games, was it games among friends or was it games against implacable enemies?
0: Well, it's a good question. It's probably a bit of both. I mean, it's an international sports event, and I think the, the great thing about this Olympic model, which is what was used for the Southeast Asian Peninsula Games, or the Up Games, is that it promotes both nationalism for the teams taking part in the event as well as some kind of universalism, in this case a form of regionalism between the, the different countries involved. Sometimes this is expressed in the form of emotions of friendship and, and love and, and peaceful coexistence and so forth. And sometimes it's expressed in, in rather more dramatic terms as a form of sort of animosity or, or even hatred. And this is the remarkable thing about sport is it sort of covers
1: all of these emotions. Because there was a history of animosity between... Two of the major players are Thailand and Burma. That's right. very important part of this is that Thailand
0: was the, the country that formed the SEAP Games, um, the Olympic Committee of Thailand in particular. And it had um, strained relations with Burma over over many years. It was Burma was generally considered within Thailand to be a, a sort of an enemy state on the basis that it invaded Thailand or... Thai kingdoms of the past, Siamese kingdoms of the past. And this was the basis of Thai historiography. Um, so the fact that the the games emerged from a thawing of relations between these two countries through the 1950s is quite significant, I think.
1: And all the while, this is against the backdrop of communism and anti-communism and influence in the region and not so far away. Uh, you've got Vietnam. Well, that's right.
0: I suppose the the very interesting aspect of the Games from a geopolitical perspective is that there were seven countries that were involved, Burma, Cambodia, Laos, Malaya, Singapore, South Vietnam and Thailand. And most of those countries were anti-communist and US allies, but two of them, Burma and Cambodia, were not. Two of them were, were sort of stridently neutralist countries. Now, what this did for the Thai founders of the Games is to create a broad regional event from non-communist nations, not necessarily anti-communist, but certainly non-communist nations, and the clearest indicator of this is the fact that North Vietnam, which of course was a an independent communist country at that time, uh, was not involved at all. It wasn't even mentioned in um, correspondence. It was sort of absent all the way along. So, yeah, this was certainly the the main political dimension of the games that Thailand was trying to create this sort of new regional order, as I call it, through sport, that was non-communist in its political position. But it was also Thai-centric because of Thailand's involvement in founding the Games and because of its history of tense relations with many surrounding countries, particularly Burma, particularly Cambodia. This led to quite a few difficulties for the event, in particular in the first Games when, when Cambodia withdrew from the from the games. And it wasn't because of the games per se that Cambodia withdrew. It was because of a, a broader event or a broader set of circumstances involving a temple, a disputed temple on the border between the two countries, uh, which remains an issue in bilateral rela- relations today. But as a result of that, there were nationalist press campaigns and protests and so forth, in, both in Bangkok and in, and in Phnom Penh. And this led to Cambodia's withdrawal due to fears for the safety of athletes and and officials. But I think the important thing to understand about this is that it may have been the the temple issue which was the trigger for their withdrawal, but really it was because of sort of implacable um, political differences, particularly between the Thai leadership and the Cambodian leadership. And the idea in Thailand that Cambodia was, if not a communist country, then certainly overly sympathetic to communism. And the reciprocal feeling in Cambodia that Thailand, together with South Vietnam and both backed by the United States, was sort of out to get Cambodia in some sense. So, you know, there's that Cold War political background that gives all of this some kind of context
1: and meaning. What it does is it makes organising some kind of regional sporting events quite a challenge.
0: Yeah, it does. I mean, I think the interesting thing about this is that you can look at it in isolation and sort of say the, the regional objectives were not successful and sort of say, well, one piece was missing. But in the longer term, you look at how Cambodia rejoined the Games two years later in Burma. There were further problems through the 60s. Cambodia cancelled the Games in 1963 for other reasons. But overall, they've sort of remained part of this region through that period and into the 70s. They remained part of that region that was being created, receiving some kind of cultural expression through... The up games. So it depends on whether you look at it in um, 1959 in isolation or whether you look at it more broadly. but you're right that it's, it's certainly um, certainly um, some political complications to, to achieving the objectives of the games. But they were overcome, and, and this with hindsight is a, a moment of genesis. Yeah, look, I think that you can certainly argue that sport was able to do something that other aspects of diplomacy and politics were not. But again, it depends on sort of which part you look at to some extent. I mean, they weren't able to overcome that particular hurdle. But in the broader perspective, I suppose they were. It just depended on who was hosting the games. Thailand and Cambodia continued to have issues through the 60s.
1: Was there lots of investment in, say, for example, javelin throwing or, <laughs> or football? I suppose the main
0: sports were familiar international sports for a start, the ways that I've been looking at most of all are the um, regional or international sporting events within Southeast Asia that were created. And these were basically a familiar format. So these are international sports, multi-sport events with athletics and swimming and, and various other things. So that that would be one way that it was manifested, but I suppose more broadly, both the communist countries uh, in the Soviet Union and um, China were investing money in sports development throughout different countries in Southeast Asia. Um, and in some ways, the Southeast Asia Peninsula Games which represented um, a response to that by the anti-communist countries within Southeast Asia as a way of, of sort of trying to compete with what the communist countries were offering. So the communist countries were putting money into Burma and Indonesia and this kind of thing as a way of, I suppose, um, a form of soft power. And then the US was responding in places like Thailand and the Philippines and so forth.
1: So there was a a, a propaganda dividend from the the superpowers who were putting the money in for uh, athletic achievements, which would then be it almost like a hearts and minds campaign.
0: Yeah, I think that's how it was anticipated. I don't think it's easy to measure whether it worked or not. Certainly, you know, to return to the Southeast Asia Peninsula Games, the American coach of the Thai athletics team, who had some involvement with setting up the, the event, who who also happened to be a junior officer in the, the embassy working for um, the U.S. Information Service, he, he wrote a very long... Um, sort of justification in a sense of the Southeast Asian the Seap games to the State Department. And he made a big deal out of this that promoting sport in Thailand, in particular promoting regional relations through sport, would be a very effective way and a very cost efficient way or cost effective way of reducing the appeal of, of communism and therefore of containing communism in Southeast Asia. Now, he was certainly convinced that this would work, but I don't know how you measure these things. I think the other side, you know, the communist side, who was in, who were investing in sports in Burma and, and Indonesia and so forth, I'm sure that they anticipated a, a um, propaganda dividend, as you, as you say, as well. But once again, I'm not sure how you, how you'd actually measure that.
1: There would be some politicians, I'm sure, who would measure that Mm. success in terms of of medals. Uh, Did we see the emergence of any uh, uh, regional sporting powers as a result of that investment?
0: Look, it's a a really interesting question. I think the SEAP Games were established with this precise objective of improving performance of Thailand and all of the participating countries in mainland Southeast Asia, improving their, their performance at the Asian Games and the Olympic Games. This was one of the main objectives of the event. Over time, I think that the sort of the means became the end in itself in the sense that the up Games kind of filled a gap which was providing an ability to win medals, period. And so it didn't necessarily lead to a great improvement internationally but it did lead to the winning of many medals because they had an event that they could win medals in. And that became a very important part of the Games, I think, and it helps to account for the success of the Games, success here measured by the fact that the Games continued pretty much every second year since 1959, because all countries had a chance of winning medals that they couldn't win elsewhere. So sort of in a sort of perverse, sort of um, indirect way almost, you could say that they achieved their objective of winning medals, but not in the way they
1: intended You've been listening to a podcast from the series Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, a project bringing together experts from around the world and hosted here on the Wilson Centre's online digital archive at digitalarchive.org.